this week on Making Contact. The track is Saturn by Sun Ra and his orchestra. Sun Ra is just one of many African-American artists whose works and persona are described as Afrofuturist. What exactly is Afrofuturism? Well, it's a way of looking at the future and alternate realities through a black cultural lens. A black cultural lens means the people of the African continent in addition to the diaspora. It intersects the imagination, technology, uh, black culture, liberation, and mysticism. That's Yatasha Womack, an independent scholar, filmmaker, and author of the award-winning book, Afrofuturism, the World of Black Sci-Fi and Fantasy Culture. She's one of the leading scholars on Afrofuturism and travels the world lecturing on the imagination. And now, Yatasha Womack, speaking at the 2017 Sonic Arts Festival in Amsterdam. Well, I have to say that I am honored and delighted to be a part of this conference. It has been enlightening, exciting, and I am actually touched by the uh, level of thoughtfulness in the programming and the, the musical showcases and, and art selections. I think that it makes a great statement about our desire as human beings to want to connect with new ideas or old ideas and use them to really stretch our, to help us break out of our boxes and to push towards greater heights and to celebrate are the beauty of humanity. So I have to, to thank the organizers for putting this together. I have the, the, the honor uh, and privilege, I would say, of being able to go to many places and talk about Afrofuturism. And there's uh, one place where I had a, an, a discussion about Afrofuturism that I would like to share with you. Um, when the, the book first came out, I had an opportunity to speak to a group of fifth graders on the west side of Chicago. And they were uh, a little rambunctious group of kids a little bit. I was coming to speak to them in their art class. Their instructor asked if I would explain what Afrofuturism was. And all of the students in the class were uh, of African descent. They were all African-American. And I was you know, explaining some of the tenets of Afrofuturism. And at some point, you know, there, there were some rumblings. And, and then I asked the students, I said, you know, tell me some ideas you have about the future. What are some things you would like to see in the future? And, you know, one kid raised his hand and he said, well, I would like to see a world without violence. I said, okay. You know, I was thinking he was going to tell stories about spaceships and, and flying saucers and flying cars and, and so forth. But he said he wanted to see a world without violence. I said, great. And so then another kid, you know, raised their hand and they said, yeah, you know, I would like to see, you know, a world where there isn't any gun violence. I said, OK, all right, great. And then I went to the next student and, and slowly every child who chose to answer the question uh, talked a, a great deal about not wanting to see violence, not wanting to see violence in their community, in their, in their neighborhoods. And, and I said, okay, um, because I was a little surprised, actually. I was expecting, you know, to, to hear the, 
the robust nature of their imaginations and, and you know, hear them talk about space travel and they're talking about uh, localized violence. And so I said, okay, well, you're telling me what you don't want to see. I said, throughout your day, you don't see violence every moment of the day. So I said, so um, I want you to think about that feeling and I want you to tell me what does the world look like when there isn't any violence? And so, you know, slowly they start to raise their hand and then one child said, well, that means we can go and we can play outside. I said, okay, all right, great. And then another student, well, you know, people would treat one another nicely, we wouldn't use harsh words, and, and slowly they were starting to say things and describe behaviors that reflected a world without violence. And, you know, as we start pulling back these layers, at some point, I am then able to, to get them to talk more about the future, but there was this barrier around the fact that some, many of the students could not see beyond what they felt were their present circumstances. And so as we got past that point, I started to describe what Afrofuturism was. I started to explain its significance. I named some of the music. And when I was talking about it, one of the, the students raised their hands and they said, again, now these students are 10. They said, well, how can I use Afrofuturism to end racism? I said, oh, wow. And I talked a bit about the imagination. And then, you know, slowly I could see their, their brains really starting to work around this whole idea of creativity because I talked about using their imagination and creativity. And another child raised their hand and they said, well, would you consider blues music to be Afrofuturism? I said, interesting. And I talked about, you know, the chords and the creativity and blues and how uh, when it was created, it was very much the music of the future and really underscored uh, a lot of the, the popular music that we celebrate today in the digital age. And then I started talking about digital music and Chicago is a, a, a home for house music and, and juke music and footwork, as many of you know. You, some of you had the opportunity to see DJ Earl uh, the other day, a Chicagoan Southsider. I'm excited about that. Uh, and... When I'm talking about, you know, digital music, I told them that Coldwell Ishan, who is a, a theorist uh, out of the UK and did a lot of writing about Afrofuturism, how he described this digital music as alien music. And then the students got really quiet. You know, you can almost hear a pin drop. I was, you know, a little startled by how quiet they were. And then one little girl raised her hand and she said, well, I want to create alien music. How can I create alien music? And I explained to them that I wasn't really a musician, but I talked about some of the digital technologies and, and how they work and the students were getting excited. And, and then at some point, another student raised their hand. And again, this was a young lady and she said, so are you trying to tell us that we can use our imaginations and we can create the kind of world that we wanna create and that we can change the things around us? Is that what you're saying to us? And I said, yes. And, you know, the bell rings and the students kind of gather their things and, and then they, you know, move on. And that experience stuck with me. And I'm sharing it with you because these are 10-year-old children who I had to have a 30-minute discussion about violence with 
And then once we can sort of peel back the layer behind what they didn't want to see, we could get into what they wanted to see. And then it was through talking about music and some of the imagery and the fact that they could write their own stories that suddenly at the end, light bulbs went off and there was this idea that they can have a sense of, of agency within their lives. So when we talk about the world of the imagination, when we're talking about speculative fiction, when we're talking about some of the, the realms of the creative arts, you know, it's not just pure expression, it's just not a, a mode of inspiration. It does ultimately create level of, levels of agency where people feel that they can shape the world around them. And to, to see this, or rather to have this experience with a group of, of 10 year old children, uh, I would say it's pretty significant because the expectation would be that their imaginations wouldn't be hijacked at that age. And yet, they too were experiencing a high level of socialization and in some ways felt a little limited by some of the things they saw around them, but also a lot of the, the media images um, that were projected to them about the particular community that they lived in. So the imagination is important. The imagination is a lifeline. The imagination is an extension of the resilience of the human spirit. And when it comes to Afrofuturism, imagination is one of the core tenets as I, I like to discuss it. What exactly is Afrofuturism? Well, it's a way of looking at the future and alternate realities through a black cultural lens. A black cultural lens means the people of the African continent in addition to the diaspora, uh, people in the Americas and in Europe, et cetera. It is an artistic aesthetic uh, but it's also kind of a method of self-liberation or self-healing. It's a, it can be a part of critical race theory. And in other respects, it's an epistemology as well. But it intersects the imagination, technology, uh, black culture, liberation, and mysticism. As, a, as an artistic aesthetic, it bridges literature, music, visual arts, film, and dance. And as a, a mode of self-healing and liberation, it's the use of the imagination uh, that is most significant because it helps people to transform their circumstances. Uh, imagining oneself in the future creates agency. And also, it, it's... Very significant because uh, historically, people of African descent were not always incorporated into many of the storylines about the future. And so in referencing the, the culture and a lot of those experiences and placing it in the future, it's not only significant from a, a representation standpoint of say providing inspiration for, for kids of color, but it also is disorienting and then highlights the fact that these cultures and some of their contributions were not necessarily placed into a futuristic context, which then, for some reason, disorients people and starts to make them really look at, well, what are some of my default assumptions about the world? What are my, some of my default assumptions around how things work? and what ideas are acceptable and what ideas aren't. I like talking about the imagination because I feel that 
ultimately, it by thinking about and visualizing other kinds of worlds and other sorts of ideas, it pushes us beyond our conventions, but in doing so, it helps us to further connect with ourselves. Uh, it is not by accident that many of us are socialized to feel that some ideas are acceptable and some ideas aren't acceptable. And by contemplating many of the tenets of Afrofuturism, uh, we're provided with opportunities to look at the wealth of knowledge and contributions of people of African descent to the sciences and philosophy and art, and then contemplate, well, how can we utilize some of these ideas to help shape a better future now? Sandra is a frequent reference in Afrofuturism, and he is a celebrated jazz musician, of course. And, but as some of you may know, he had a story of origin where he said that he really came from Saturn and that he was brought to Earth to really heal the world through music. He believed that music could enhance telepathy. He believed that the vibrations of the music tonally could help shift and deconstruct some of the, the challenges that were, were here on Earth. And he experimented with sound and sound technology in order to do so. One of the things that's most fascinating to me about Sun Ra is his use of the imagination. Now, whether we choose to believe that he was actually from Saturn or whether that was a, a belief that he had to really adopt and, and celebrate to help him contextualize his work, you know, we can have some sort of debate about that. But I think it's, it's fascinating that the music he created, he felt comfortable doing so under the name Sun Ra, where he's pulling from an Egyptian deity and then at the same time viewing himself as being a, a being from another world. And this and using the imagination on one level as a sense of escapism, but on another level as a tool of empowerment to then encapsulate, encapsulize and to help him understand this music that was coming to him. So if he viewed it as being, if he viewed himself as being alien, then it justified the, the sounds, it justified some of the rejection, and it explained in some ways his own life. And I just find that rather fascinating as a, as a use of the imagination, again, for protection, and then on some levels, escapism, but then ultimately a way of deconstructing his own identity in a time of segregation. Uh, and I just, I think that's something for us to sort of contemplate when we think about the use of the imagination, again, as a tool of resilience. Um, George Clinton, of course, is a, a popular reference in Afrofuturism because of the musical technology, but also a lot of the imagery, the, a lot of the space imagery and the wordplay, which was really used to sort of invert our realities. Octavia Butler is a popular reference in, in Afrofuturism. I think she's one of the reasons there are so many um, women of African descent really looking to literature to express themselves as sci-fi writers. And I, she's especially significant too because she helped to inspire Octavia's brood. 
And that is a, a collection of works by science fiction lovers who were actually activists and advocates. And they wrote their own short stories in order to help project their ideas about the future. But on the other hand, it was really kind of a, a tool of therapy, I think, too. Because you have activists and advocates who are, are working on issues, and sometimes the issues they're working on can take decades. But by writing stories, they can inspire themselves and then inspire others. And I just feel like this very practical use of the imagination is one that helps to bind us and one that helps to really push us forward as we, we contemplate social change and as we look to really understand how we can make a difference. And then I just had to point out Alice Coltrane, who's just one of my favorite Afrofuturists, and, and her use of music to do in some ways what Sun Ra did, but really to help people to reimagine their identities. Because when we're talking about the imagination, in many respects, one of the things that we're ultimately trying to do is to look at identity, to break past some of these limitations that we associate with ourselves. Grace Jones and Janelle Monet are other popular references as well. Now, here I have a few images. Uh, there's the book Black Quantum Futurism, which was put together by Rashida Phillips, who's over the Afrofuturist Affair in Philadelphia. This particular book deals, uh, deals with the concept of time, uh, which I'll talk a little bit about uh, in just a few. Uh, I have images here of Nettie Okorafor, the cover for Octavia's Brood, uh, the book I mentioned, and uh, album by King Britt. And in all of these works, are reference the, the African diaspora and the continent in many ways and some of the concepts, but again, they help us to really question our own sense of reality and question some of the paradigms that we function under. You're listening to Making Contact and a special Black Futures edition with author Yatasha Womack. To find out more about Womack and Afrofuturism, go to our website at radioproject.org and look for the link to this episode. And now back to Yatasha Womack on Afrofuturism, Imagination and Humanity. Black Future Month is a, a increasingly used uh, moniker and title for what is typically called a Black History Month. And part of this exploration is a way of bridging both the future with the past and using the, the culture as a bridge of sorts. How does Afrofuturism differ from uh, what we usually call traditional science fiction? And one of the big differences is the perspective on time. Uh, there is, in many of the books that we, we read, there's a very traditional linear concept of the future moving forward, uh, there being a past, a present, and a future, whereas in Afrofuturist concepts of time, there's very much an idea that the past, the future, and the present are, uh, are really one. And you see this in the imagery 
you see this in a lot of the time travel stories. And if you look at this particular image, it's both ancient and futuristic at the same time. Any of you are, if you're fans of the AACM, uh, their title is actually, you know, ancient to the future. And I think that's very significant when we think about time as a, another dimension uh, through which to reimagine identity. This book is Rayla 2212. It's a, a book that I wrote and it's of significance, I believe, because for me personally, it helped me to really stretch my imagination around these concepts of identity. I, shortly after I wrote the book, Post Black, and in the midst of writing the book, Afrofuturism, I wanted to write a story about a woman in the future, a woman of African descent in the future, but I didn't want her to be bound by some of the predictions we could make now about race. I just didn't really want that to be a factor in the story. And so I pushed the character out 50 years, then 100 years, and then eventually, I said, well, what if it's 200 years? You know, it's, it's difficult to make predictions about, you know, what would happen in 200 years. And then I said, well, what if she's on another planet? And for me personally, this was a way of stretching my imagination around talking about a character of African descent. But of course, once I put her on another planet, 200 years into the future, and I create a whole world for this character, the question becomes, well, what is her connection to my understanding of being a person of African descent? Uh, does she connect with that? Does she connect with being, say, American as I am? Or does she even connect with being a person from Earth? And as a process, this was a, a unique experience because it really made me have to, it compelled me to really look at how we define ourselves. You know, how can I write about a character using a cultural context if I'm placing her on a futuristic planet uh, in 200 years? And it made me realize, and it, it helped to underscore another idea within Afrofuturism, which is often discussed, which is the fact that race is very much a technology and race as we understand it was created. And it was created uh, in part or primarily to justify the transatlantic slave trade. And the power imbalances that are very much associated with that came out of that. Obviously as a society, we worked very hard to dismantle these things. But I, I point this out because our understanding of race today did not exist six, seven, 800 years ago. It's a relatively new concept. And you may say, well, why is that significant? Well, I think it's significant because for so many of it's a, it is a primary identifier. And Afrofuturism, while on one level deconstructing some of these concepts around identity, does help us to reconnect with a larger sense of humanity by looking at how have we been socialized to separate ourselves from one another and what ideas are we separating ourselves from as well? So when I looked at this particular character and I thought about where she was in the world, where she was in the universe, I had to think more about a universal identity, but at the same time, I wanted to acknowledge uh, the contributions that people of African descent had made and, could, and how those things could shape the future. 
So the, the character's last name is Elmatic, which is a shout out to Nas, the rap artist. The character lives on the outskirts of Obama City, which of course, you know, refers to Barack Obama. And she, you know, the months of the year, you know, in, include the month of MLK and the month of Gandhi. And, you know, these are things that, that help us to really think about narratives that we preserve and narratives that we don't preserve, right? And I just find that from a, a storytelling standpoint to be so incredible because one of the big issues of the 20th century was who can tell a story? Whose story can get out there? Uh, whose narratives can be used to connect with the world? And fortunately, because of technology and self-publishing and, and in some respects changing of the times, there is now a greater understanding that there are people around the world who have an interest and looking at stories uh, from people of, of African descent in the sci-fi realm. But I have to be honest with you, despite the uh, acclaims of someone like a Samuel Delaney or an Octavia Butler, uh, it's only just in the past couple years that there's been a wider acknowledgement that there is an interest in so doing. And part of that has to do with the, the popularity of the term Afrofuturism and its sort of resurgence uh, well, I don't want to say it's a resurgence. The, the popularity of the term. The term itself may have been created in the 90s, but the tenants are much older. And um, I encourage all of us to, to really take a look at some of the ideas and concepts within this because it, just by its very nature, forces us to really examine our own imaginations, uh, to really look at some of our, our sense some of our limitations and to ask ourselves, who are we as human beings? And to look at what ideas we choose to engage with, which ideas we're told not to engage with, and to really wonder why something as simple as a person of African descent in the future for some could be so disorienting. And to really look at what that means. You know, who are we as human beings? And what role does the imagination play in our own lives? I encourage all of us to utilize our imaginations, not just as storytellers, but to really write the stories of our lives actively and to write the stories of our world actively and to take actions that really help to value humanity because we are in a, in a time where it is very much needed. Uh, your light is needed. And the constructive use of your imagination, which you're using all the time, is needed as well. Thank you. That wraps up this Black Futures edition of Making Contact. You've been listening to a presentation by the award-winning author, Yatasha Womack. She spoke at the 2017 Sonic Axe Festival in Amsterdam. Special thanks to Charlotte Landis and to Sonic Arts and Yatasha Womack for permission to air this program. To find out more about this and other shows on Making Contact, check out our website at radioproject.org. That's radioproject.org. Or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Or drop us a line. 
Our handle is making underscore contact. The Making Contact team is Executive Director Lisa Redman, Producers Anita Johnson, Monica Lopez, and Salima Hamarani. Audience Engagement Director Sabine Blazon. Distribution and Outreach Coordinator Dylan Hoyer. And I'm Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.